Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The Ohio State dominated OU and Norman, but what did we learn about Urban Meyer's Buckeyes? Unbelievable! Lamar Jackson shredded the Seminoles and now is the Heisman leader. How far can he take the Cardinals? And panic has set in for some of college football's traditional powers. Breaking the Huddle starts right now. Hey, welcome into Breaking the Huddle. Let's try this one more time. Presented by Dr. Pepper, it's a college football tradition. No tailgate or watch party is complete without Dr. Pepper. I'm Joel Klatt, and thank you so much, as always, for joining us tonight. Coming up on the show, after Ohio State took care of business in Norman this past weekend, what did we actually learn about the Buckeyes? We're also going to talk about Lamar Jackson. He had another dynamic performance against Florida State. He's the clear leader in the Heisman race. How far can he take the Cardinals this year? Plus... Is it time to panic for some of college football's top programs? And plus, we're going to look ahead, as we do each and every week, to the biggest games of week four. But first, I have a little something to get off my chest. Deshaun Jackson, he started an epidemic, and I am not sure that there is um, a fix anytime soon. See, when the former Cal Bear dropped the ball before he got into the end zone against the Dallas Cowboys back in 2008 on, what, Monday Night Football, I believe it was, he had millions of impressionable young athletes watching his every single move. I can't even begin to imagine how many touchdown celebrations in the backyard that next week started with the ball carrier getting rid of the most important element that he had, the football, as quickly as he possibly could. I can't even imagine. The problem is now all of those young kids are playing college football, and the stakes are a bit higher than neighborhood bragging rights. See, we have already seen three players drop the football short of the goal line on short touchdowns. For what reason, I'm still not sure. I can't even begin to comprehend why it is so important to get rid of the ball as soon as you can. Joe Mixon dropped the ball on his kick return for a touchdown uh, against Ohio State. Vic and Wary dropped the game-clinching touchdown for Cal right on the one-yard line. And Ray Ray McLeod for Clemson also dropped the ball before entering the end zone earlier this year. The entire point of the touchdown is for the ball to break the plane of the goal line. Does Michael Phelps stop a yard short of the wall and look up, clear his glasses, take them off, and say, hey, where'd I finish? Let me help you out with that, Michael. Dead last. You didn't make the wall. I sure hope that on my next flight, since I travel so much, my pilot doesn't decide that a few yards short of the runway is good enough. Here's the only fix out there. Take a page out of the book from Barry Sanders and hand the ball to the official. If you all are too young for that, then take a page out of one of your contemporaries' books. Donnell Pumphrey, who just set the Mountain West touchdown record with his 51st and 52nd rushing touchdown of his career. How did he celebrate? 
He handed the ball to the official. Come on, fellas. Let's act like we've been there before. And now a look back at the game where Ohio State announced themselves with authority like Nuke Lelouch to the rest of the country. For Ohio State, it's all about the inexperienced players. All of those questions will be answered and addressed here tonight. Barrett handing it to Samuel around the corner. Whips made first down and more. Samuel, Brooklyn's finest touchdown. Mayfield, that ball deflected at the line of scrimmage and picked off. The opportunistic nature for Ohio State shows up again. Barrett floats one in the corner. That's why JT Barrett's one of the best in America. They're trying to find their number one threat on the outside, and they're hoping it's going to be Noah Brown, incredibly athletic. Barrett looks in the end zone, in the corner, touchdown, Buckeyes. He pinned that onto the corner's back, unbelievable. The Ohio State Buckeyes send a clear message to the college football world. All right, welcome back in here, and uh, we're going to get set to talk all about the Buckeyes, their big win in Norman with my guys, Rob Stone, who does everything at Fox, and Bruce Feldman, our college football insider. Rob, you see him hosting our college football shows all day on Saturday long on the studio, and also does our soccer. He does pretty much anything else that they ask him as well. College like basketball is right College basketball, and, I was, and he comes into small podcasts like this no, on a Tuesday afternoon. Fantastic. Appreciate you, you coming, man. Do we have, is it labeled the mad clatter to start off with your, your opening rant? Yeah, I was trying to make that it a little bit something. more like light. I was trying to smile while no, I was being was mad. that was borderline pounding. I agree with you. <laughs> so like, I was, what is the problem? Because I said the same thing this week. I'm like, the word epidemic jumped out to me. Like, guys, it's the greatest moment of the game. I know. Right? Like, you would, to me, you would want to extend that moment. Or even, like, take the football home. Well, do you, when I was a kid, the, the greatest thing about scoring a touchdown was slamming the football on the ground, giving a good old-fashioned well, strike, Well, that's, that's right? a penalty. We, well, yeah, <laughs> and that's a whole other topic. That frustrates me. But this, this is bizarre. I didn't even know... It happened. I was, I was on the uh, opposite sideline with Matt Leinart during, during this, and uh, Shannon Spate came by over a couple of minutes ago, and she said he dropped it before he crossed the goal line. That's and, crazy. And Bruce, I, just looked at, I just looked at Matt and Shannon. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. How, how many more times is this going to continue before somebody is, is going to make one of those one of those uh, in-house rules. Well, someone's going to run to the wall. Yeah, well, I'm sure every single coach in America is addressing it with his team because it was so high profile this last weekend. There's got to be some sort of it. But, again, I, I really believe it's because these kids were impressionable when Deshaun yeah. Jackson started to do this back in the, like, what, 2008. How much do you think it's the too cool for school? Hey, yeah, it's just I'm very not much. Like, Mixon didn't look like he was going to celebrate. I know they were losing at that point. Yeah. But when you watch his body language. I was actually at that game in the high school All-America game, you know, whatever it was, 2002 or three, when Deshaun Jackson was a senior. It's in San Antonio, Texas. He does a forward front flip from like the five-yard yeah. line, comes Lens up short. short, does not score. And you're like, what did he just do? <laughs> right. And he's made right. that mistake repeatedly. Yeah. I, I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, coaches have this list every week. Like, we need to go over this, you know, our special teams, our red zone offense. You're like, what coach in America is like, guys, once again, we need to reiterate. Make sure you carry the ball. The ball make, sure, the make sure you carry the ball all the what way through the here, goal people? line. What are we doing, Clatter? Um, okay, so Bruce, you were back in studio. By the way, you and Mike Hill, excellent job during that lengthy rain delay. You guys were fantastic. You. Rob, you were at the game uh, along with me what doing, doing the. There, anyway? I, was, I was Twitter crazy. I was taking pictures <laughs> yeah, and I videos. The, the goal post. Did you see that? I, I had a lightning hit on one of my panoramic oh, shots. Oh, good for you. The weather was insane. I mean, like, I've never been in a tornado. But I was looking up at that one was dark there a mass there, and I said, I'm guessing that's what it looks like. 
because um, it was it was frightening. I'm I'm sure it was frightening also for Oklahoma because of the tornado that ended yeah. up landing on the field was the Ohio State Buckeyes, um, fellas. We start with, since we kind of teased it, what did we learn about Ohio State? Because I actually came into this game, and for me, there were more questions than answers, even with Ohio State being 2-0, and because one, they hadn't been tested, and two, they were so inexperienced. The most inexperienced team in the country coming back, 128 out of 128, six returning starters, period. A bunch of guys that were in big, high-profile spots, in particular on defense, that were going to have to produce, and they are producing like crazy. I was as impressed with any team as I've ever been when I've seen them live in a big game environment like that. You talk about all the question marks about the team. You, know, you forget about their kicker. He's a guy who's playing college soccer for two years. Yeah. And, you know, coach just kind of ran into him in the bubble while he was pounding on punts. So uh, a ton of questions, like, like you mentioned. Um, I think it was almost more like confirmation. Like, this confirms how good Urban Meyer is, how mm. strong this program is going forward. And, you know, people love to say, you know, they just reload, they reload. But, but Urban gets these guys ready. Yeah. And, and he has them ready for moments. Uh, taking a young team on the road to Norman, and Norman was pumping yeah, on was. Saturday night. Norman was And that 90 minutes, I think, just kind of fueled it even more. And those guys handled it well. Well, that's the part that, to me, kind of blew me away was this is, you know, he has six returning stars. We've heard all about this first time on the road but then to get the curveball like we all seen when teams are about to play it's like regimented down to the minute special teams is going to go through warm-ups at this time so they're you wonder how are they going to respond to their schedules being all thrown out of whack and i don't know if it affected yeah. oklahoma or just ohio state was just that much more talented to be that that athletic but also to be that focused and that well prepared that was the thing that blew me away you know the thing though too about ohio state is the week before the bowling green game they did have a weather delay in the middle of the game that was really disruptive yep. we kept talking to coach wants that you know during the break he's like it's not that big of a deal because it's happened before so all you gotta do is just back time when when do we need to be out then we can start saying all right let's hit this let's hit this let's hit this but it's still a 90 it's minute it's easy for pause. him to say that though he coaches a 65 year old coach who's been in the business for 40 yeah. years it's <laughs> a little different sorry maybe 62 whatever he is but a little different to be you know 18 19 year olds on the first big stage they're not playing a max school now mike crawford writes in on facebook and we invite everybody to keep the comments coming the questions we'll try to get to as many of them as we possibly can during this kind of interaction interactive broadcast here on Facebook Live. Mike Crawford says Buckeyes should be number one. Mike, I, I will say I, I don't vote in a poll anymore. I gave that up this year, but I do vote for the Fox Four. And I actually gave Teddy, who kind of handles it here in, in Playa, I gave him a 1A and 1B. I could not say Bama should be two or Ohio State should be two. Those two teams have clearly separated themselves yeah. at the top of the country and, and are deserved. So I split my number one vote in the Fox Four. Are you allowed to do that? Did, did Teddy well, have there's a There's no rules. Did Teddy the have Fox a headache? So you may have a Why, Joel? Why do you have to be so difficult? Uh, yeah. Well, because I couldn't put anybody to. I mean, Bama comes down, what, 31 to 3 run on Ole Miss? It's and a hell of a win at Ohio Ole Miss, State, by the way. Drills yeah. well, Oklahoma. Afraid, if you're going to say that, you're leaving out a team that beat Florida State by 43 yep. points. We'll see. I don't know why I'm still. I'm with I, you. I don't know. I'm I just, with I just We're getting to Louisville later. Right? We'll get to Louisville a okay. little bit later. Okay. John Barry writes it on Facebook. Oklahoma was obviously overrated and riding the hype from last year. I disagree. I disagree, and here's why. I'm going to just roll through the opening sequence of the game and tell you why it, one, could have been much closer, and two, this is what makes Urban Meyer so good. The opening sequence of the game goes like this Oklahoma gets the opening kick 
and goes right down the yep. field. I mean, literally right down the field. Excellent game plan. They get down there, and then all of a sudden, Cody Ford, their left guard, gets rolled up on. Samaj P. Ryan had just run the ball. I think it was going to be about a second and four uh, inside the 10-yard line, and they have to stop the game. Cody Ford leaves with an air cast on his ankle. So he leaves the game. He had widely been considered one of the most dominant offensive linemen for, for Oklahoma of the young season. They're unable to get the first down after, after that. They throw a pass, great play by Conley. He bats it away, so on and so forth. So they ended up trying a field goal, missed the field goal. Here comes Ohio State. Okay, so they dodge a bullet. Oklahoma's dominating the game so far, but missed the field goal. Ohio State dodges a bullet, does nothing to open the, the game. Three and out. I mean, literally nothing. Cameron Johnston comes on the field and punts the ball 70 yards and changes the entire field position. This is one of the emphasis that Urban Meyer always has in the special teams that change the, the, the whole dynamic of the game. Pins Oklahoma back. Oklahoma then tries to get the ball to Joe Mixon for the first time with a pass, which he's a running back, just hand it to him. They end up having, having to punt from their own end zone. They change the field position. This is a long story to tell you that Ohio State hadn't done anything. They end up going forward on fourth down, and then and only then Oklahoma makes their real first mistake of the game schematically. The defense gets confused. On fourth down, Curtis Samuel takes off for a touchdown. Then Oklahoma drives right back down the field again, goes forward on fourth down, tip ball, pick six. It's like two snaps of the football that Oklahoma wasn't dominating the game, uh, and they're those, down 14-0. On those two plays, and I was on the sideline watching that, and the thing that jumped out at me, what happened? There was, there was one parallel that happened on those two plays. Urban Byer and his staff called a timeout right before each play. Before each play, that's so right. They said we're going to go for it on, what was it, fourth and one? Fourth they and one. timeout. They called up what they wanted, found what they wanted. Yeah, you can say sloppy tackling or whatever you want. Goes the distance, touchdown. Oklahoma says, next. I think it was the next possession, too, we're going to go for it on fourth. That's right. Timeout, Ohio State. And I remember the bench reaction and the coach reaction when the play was happening. They were all jumping up because they knew what was coming. Yeah. They had coached those guys up saying, this is what Oklahoma is going to do on fourth down. Pick six. Yeah, it's a tip ball, whatever. But game was not game over there, but everything had just pushed to Can I play Columbus devil's out of yeah. it? Was there any way they were going to be able to cover Noah Brown no matter what? I mean, they, I felt well, like watching that, they could have Larry Allen playing guard, and eventually true. they were going to get beaten. They, they ended up exploiting that matchup. But early, at 14 nothing, that game could have been 7-7 seven, seven at worst. Yep. I mean, it, it was, again, it Oklahoma like Baker played, ever got into a rhythm there at all. That was part of the reason, I Agreed. thought, is, is an early interception uh, right there. By the way, if you're going to go for it on fourth down, your play caller should know that on third down. So Oklahoma has third and two. Great running team with two great running backs. Throw a pass. Then the timeout happens. Have to throw another pass, pick six. If you're going to go for it on fourth down, run the ball on third down. It's just a pet peeve of mine from like a game management perspective. Can so I ask you one other coaching question? mistake from there. You're there. You've covered Oklahoma a bunch. Samaje P. Ryan is probably going to, after this year, be the all-time leading rusher at OU, which he's going to pass you know, Adrian Peterson and a, you know, a couple of Heisman winners. Billy Sims. Yeah. You, who do you think is the best running back to have? Oh, Joe Mixon. Not even a hesitation. Not not even a hesitation. You saw him. I mean, yeah. you were there live. But we loved P. Ryan a year, two two years ago. We were like, this this guy is the answer. He's the next. He's the next big thing. And, and he is you big. Get it. You, you get big. it. It's just not. It's not working for him. You guys, all. you touched on Noah Brown. Uh, let's uh, take a look at the catch. When I lost my mind in the booth because this catch was incredible. But this is what I love about it is everything going on around Noah Brown. First, JT sees the one on one. And he's like, okay, I got it. I've got this. 
No problem. There's a guy back there. It looks like he's falling asleep. I don't know what's going on. Now he throws the ball. Noah Brown, 6'2". He's going to go against Micaiah Quick, 5'11". Mismatch. By the way, though, he looks taller than 6'2". He does. Ball boy's got the towel. It's been a wet night. This guy is like, oh, I think I'm going to catch it. No, you're not, sir. One foot. Two feet. Why is everyone watching the Jumbotron? It's right in front of you. No, you can't see the ball because it's on his back. And the band's in the way. The band is in the way. One hand pinned against his back. Awesome mouthpiece. Really? So he gets underrated like, mouth guard. It's not even October, but I'm scary. I didn't see that mouth guard till we were off the air. The paramedic's unimpressed. Come She's just on. making sure everybody is... Uh, is okay. I was in Oklahoma. Oh, the Oklahoma fans. Yeah. The dejected Oklahoma fans. You can't, you can't get the, the tattoos on your face, can no, you? No, I mean, I, I wouldn't think so. Appropriate reaction. There Finally, we got an appropriate reaction behind the play from Noah Brown. So Noah that Brown. Good, that was good production value. That was. Right there. Huh? Who did what that? What do we think? Whoever did that. Way to go, Jason there. Kleinman. I know you have a big well, Mark, I know nice job. Potter did that. I've seen Potter put some stuff together. That, that was that's some of the best stuff he's done in a while. So the... Noah Brown goes on to catch four touchdown yeah. passes. That was obviously one of them. Exploiting the secondary for OU. This is going to be a problem for OU all year. They're going to be in more shootouts because now they're, I don't the think they're going 12. to play as good def- teams with as good a defense as they saw Saturday night, though that's the only thing. Yep. But they're, they're, what's Oklahoma State going to do? I mean, they have a really good quarterback, and James Washington had like 1,000 receiving yards against Pitt, and Pitt has – pretty good defense if this kid is for real like I think he is Rob like Ohio State becomes scary because Curtis Samuel is is legit like very legit uh, as a running back slash hybrid slot back player you know Mike Weber is pretty good my question coming in for them was like do they have a number one receiver that can get down the field if they can exploit matchups like that I, I mean and this offense and, could and be scary good JT's feet which have been relatively subdued this season and you know just waiting for those lanes to come up and he's going to run all over you and his passing yard total it wasn't audacious at all it was, no it was very tepid uh in Norman but it was an emphatic win but you know I, I feel like I love the Buckeyes uh, they are they're my number two uh and maybe a soft one right now but they always seem to give us those hiccup moments during Big Ten play. Yeah, we'll um, see. And it's going to be easy because they're going to be favored in everything. And what do they got? Indiana and Rutgers next? I don't know if it's in that well, order. Well, let's but. see. They're, they're upcoming. They're, they're big games. They were going to have at Whiskey October 15th. Yep. And then their season really, like, starts in November. Right. They host Nebraska November 5th at Which is Michigan usually State. when Urban gets them dialed That's in. That's true. And you get the sense he's kind of got them. We'll in see, November yeah. form right now. At Michigan State, who we're going to get to in a little bit, they look amazing. Uh, November 19th. Michigan, of course, uh, in the shoe November 26th in the Big Ten Championship game on December 3rd. Um, on Fox. On Fox. We'll be there. I can't wait for that. This team looks like they're going to roll through. I mean, they, they didn't trail in the fourth quarter last year all season long except for with zeros on the clock against Michigan State. This looks like another dominant team. This looks like a team that's probably more coachable than the one last year. Less ego, um, less entitlement, and probably less expect, expectations hanging yep. over them. Well, they were still, what were, what were they in the preseason? They were top, I mean, obviously top, top 10. Top five, I thought, yeah, right in there. I felt like the expectations were still there on them, but they were very subdued top five. It was sort of like they're Ohio but State. Last year they were the, got JT Barrett. Yeah. Last year they, they, they were the overwhelming number one. They were yeah. the consensus. Unanimous in the, open, in the preseason. 
and everybody's talking about greatest team ever and all this stuff, and you know, but there was a lot of hype around it, and they didn't manage it that well. Uh, we got to get to Louisville because Lamarvelous Jackson uh, is right now pretty incredible. 918 passing yards, eight passing touchdowns, two interceptions, 464 rushing yards. He's, by the way, the second leading rusher in the country with 10 touchdowns. Dude has accounted for 18 touchdowns so far. David Durbin talks about Louisville blowing out Florida State. Yeah, I get it. Will Louisville make the college football playoff? Pretty split. This is kind of where I am right now. I'm on the fence with Louisville. I don't know why, because Clemson hasn't necessarily impressed. They do have Houston later in the year. Houston hasn't been blowing the doors off of people necessarily, in particular with OU's second loss of the year. Do you guys think Louisville is like a shoe-in to be a playoff contender? No, I like them, but they got to go to Clemson next week. You know, first they're going to October play. 1st at Clemson. Yeah, they go to Marshall this weekend, which is not an easy place to play. I think they'll win that. But I, I'm sorry, I think Clemson is still really good. I think people are kind of reading too much into week two struggle against mm -hmm. a bad team. They had a bunch of drops. You know, there was no contest against a bad FCS team this past weekend. I mean, Deshaun Watson's still really good. I think they still have a lot of firepower. By the way, you know, I talked to Todd Grantham. He's a defense coordinator at Louisville this weekend. And he said, you know what? You know, we, we had a plan for Dalvin Cook, but we had a freshman quarterback we were playing. Well, Deshaun Watson is no freshman quarterback, and their receivers are better than Florida State's receivers. I think they will handle them on the road. I'm, I'm not buying Louisville either. And the, I think it's the Teddy Bridgewater effect for me. When you and I were in the studio a yep. couple years ago, everybody was raving about Bridgewater, and I just I was like, I, I don't feel it. There's yeah. something about him that, mm. and I kind of get that way with Lamar. I've, I've enjoyed watching him through three games. Right, and he's given us a Heisman moment. He's given us that leap. He's he's dismantled Florida State, but there's still something in the DNA of Louisville that doesn't make me a believer because that, that they're big time. Because yet. they have not won like a huge bowl game right. of late. They've been a, a good team well, since he came back. But the only thing I would say is under Charlie, they did beat Florida in the Sugar Bowl. But that's a different regime. That's it's true. a different, you know. That's true. I don't know. I mean, they played better defense back then. I I like Grantham. I think he's a good, uh, very good defensive coordinator. I just in a wait and see mode. And I thought Florida State was really good. I thought Florida State would win. Part of the wait and see mode for me is that Derwin James didn't play. Does one player make that big of a difference? Probably not. But I I went back and started looking through the numbers, guys, and and I'm like, what happened for Lamar Jackson to start playing this well because there has to be there has to be something right as a quarterback you don't just all of a sudden play this great there has to be something schematically there has to be something as far as emphasis in the game plan and turns out that there was there was a five game stretch last year that Lamar Jackson averaged less than two yards per rush in four of those games and in the other one he only ran the ball one time he wasn't an emphasis in the run game it was kind of like hey he can run so he can bail us out and it was kind of like the break, broken plays, running, sack the quarterbacks. It was just kind of a free-for-all. Then, all of a sudden against Kentucky, uh, last regular season game last year, they cut him loose as a runner, a true schematic runner in, in the game. And he went crazy. I think 220-plus yards, or excuse me, 180-plus yards. And then he went crazy in the bowl game, 220-plus yards. And ever since then, in the last five games that he's played, he's had eight yards per carry or more. Well, then all of a sudden, guess what happened to his yards per attempt? It went up by three yards. So you're talking about opening up the passing game for a guy that maybe needs it, maybe doesn't need it. We haven't seen him have to rely on his arm just yet. 
But that, to me, was a clear schematic change from Bobby Petrino and this coaching staff to utilize the skill set of the quarterback rather than allowing the skill set of the quarterback to bail them out of big plays. I have a question for you on that front. Don't take this as a personal offense. But if you were a much, much more dynamic running threat... (laughs) I was as not a, player. a threat at all. But if you were, oh. how much da- more dangerous as a passer would you be because you're putting so much pressure on oh. the defensive ends and everything? Wouldn't it be a lot easier for you? Listen, any, any threat outside of the passing game, so whether it's a great running back or the quarterback himself as a runner or a great wide receiver that can run with the ball, any, anything that's not just the straight drop back is going to open up the passing game. What I always wanted so, – so, I'm going to nerd out a little bit here, and I know that uh, – bear with me. When, any, when you get a safety that closes the field, so if there's just one high safety in the middle of the field, that means that they're trying to stop the run, guys. Okay, So they've dropped a player into the box, and they're trying to get run, um, run advantage in terms of the numbers, the ratio, the run ratio and the defensive uh, favor. I want to throw against that because that means that the corners – the outside corners have deep responsibility. So that means they're a free access player. That's when I'm going to get back shoulder fades. That's when I'm going to be able to throw slant passes. That's when I'm going to be able to throw four verticals against one single safety. All of these things are more advantageous for me. So anytime we can run the ball, whether it's a great running back or me as a runner as a, from the quarterback position, I need the extra player in the box. The worst thing is when you're forced to throw against two high safeties and two jam corners whether it's cover 4, 2, 8, 42, whatever you want to talk about as far as the schematics, if there's two safeties back, open middle of the field, that's just tough to throw against. All of those things uh, I think are a big difference to answer your question. I mean, it's probably like shooting foul shots, the difference between shooting a three-pointer and a foul shot because you just it just would seem like it would be a lot easier to make those throws. And I, I feel like he is really, really dangerous in that capacity, and they cut him loose. Now, also – Michael Vick said he's five times the player I was, which I don't, you know, that's him being deferential. But two things. One, he didn't redshirt Michael Vick did, so maybe that's part of the learning curve. But the other part is he has a better offensive coach in Bobby Petrino yes. than Ricky Bustle was. No offense, Ricky, but, you know, what, what Michael had at Virginia Tech. Ricky Bustle was the offensive coordinator for way Frank back Beamer. When, yeah, way back so when. now, I mean, Petrino with this, this option, I mean, he had some guys who could run a little. He hadn't had anybody who could run like this. I mean. ACC is interesting. The news that came out today on how they're going to try and manage a potential three-way tie. Yes. To see who goes to the ACC championship game. Talk about nerding. Talk about nerding out. That's that's big-time nerd talk right now. Remember 2008, that happened in the Big 12 with Texas Tech, Texas, and OU. Mm -hmm. OU ended up winning the tiebreaker and going to play for the national championship. Super intelligent move to be be ahead of the curve. But I at least, I said, you know, everybody's talking about when is going to be the year where we have two teams from the same conference in the the college football playoffs. And I said, maybe this year, but it's going to be the ACC. It's going to be Florida State and Clemson. I, I wonder how much of a hit this is going to be to Florida State to get up um, and, and how it's going to how, how those three universities are going to be valued. Sure. I think, Lu- I think Louisville has a chance to be that second team because let's say they lose close at Clemson and then they turn around and beat, beat Houston. undefeated Houston yes. on a Thursday night. It's a late push. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to play in the conference title game. It would and be those Clemson. late pushes are important, very important. And, and Andre, we talk about that at, at our end of the year, uh, our college football playoff show, who should be the final four. And so much of it, we forget yeah. September. Heisman voters forget like, what oh, happened yeah. Did they September? lose back yeah. then? What happened there? Uh, and, and you know what? They're going to look at the score lines too, right? They're not going to remember how those games really fully developed. They're going to see 14 points or 7 points and make a, a value on that. Let's get to the panic meter, fellas, because there's some big brands, some big names out there that 
could potentially be hitting the panic meter very quickly. I'm going to start with an overall conference, and here's how the game is going to work. We'll go down the line, and we're going to rate 10 to 1, or 1 to 10, whatever you would. 10 being like high level of Think panic. Think panic, stress. Think ten. of most panic you can possibly get. 10 being the production truck on Saturday Night Normal. That's right. <laughs> 10 being any time the production truck has to deal with a delay. 1 being you're not panicked at all. Um, and we're going to go through some entities, some teams, and, and rank our level of panic. I'm going to start. Big 12 conference as a whole. Guys, 10. They should be like hair on fire panic in the Big 12. I don't see a Big 12 team that can go to the playoff anymore. Oklahoma is still probably their best team and still probably going to win their championship because I don't necessarily believe in Texas all that much. They proved me right when they went out and lost to Cal. They're a 10 for me. I mean, the Big 12 is in a rough spot. And guess what, Bob Bowlesby? Expansion ain't going to help you. Uh, I, who's next? Who is next? next? What do we got? Rob? Let's go with Rob. Because I'm panicky, too. <laughs> Panicky. I I'm, love I'm that. not a panicky type guy, but I'm going nine. I gave it a niner. Uh, and it was, for me, it wasn't just on the field. It was, and you touched on at the end, the Bullsby effect. It's like, what, Big 12, what are we doing here? Yes. Like, this is like the year that the Big 12 can't get out of their own way. Yeah. You know, we're going to expand. We're not going to expand. It's going to be two. It's going to be four. We're going to hijack networks. Millions of dollars. I mean, like, all these conversations are going on. And then, then when they have a stage. And Oklahoma's had two stages this year. Oh, by the way. They could have ended things by taking care of Houston. And then they lay an egg against Ohio State as well. Um, I think this weekend's game on Fox, by the way, Oklahoma State Baylor, all of a sudden is is got the the buildup of a potential top of the Big Twelve type uh, conversation because Oklahoma State got they got screwed. Yeah, right. They got screwed by they the be Big Twelve replay by officials. their own replay officials. Oklahoma, you know, the Big Twelve replay officials in Norman missed that one as well. So I, I, I'm very worried right now. I, I think the Big 12 is fine going forward, but this is shaping up as a really Next. bad year. And oh, oh by the way, uh, remember what happened in Baylor just a couple months yes. ago and that train wreck? Yes. Um, yeah, they, they, need to, they need to get out of the season. They need yes. to get out of their own way and just, just play the game. You can play along with us on Facebook as we bring up topics. You can throw up your level of panic for any of these situations. Big 12 Conference, Bruce. Bruce, I'm are a, you a panicker? Are not as much panic? on this I feel like one. you're calm. I'm yeah. calmer on them. I got an eight, which is <laughs> relatively high. speaking. That's uh, pretty high. You know, there's two undefeated teams. No one is mentioned in West Virginia. West Virginia, baby, fighting Dana Holgerson. I mean, come on. Hey, <laughs> what else we got here? I know. Well, and this and isn't this isn't called the belief segment. I'm not no, I'm I not mean, saying I'm betting like the house on West Virginia. No, no, your point is they're unbeaten, just like Baylor. And that's yeah, it. I think people have written them off. If they run the table, they would have a shot. I don't think they will, but you know what? Stranger things have happened. Kansas State, Bruce. I will buy Made you. Difficult on Stanford. I will buy you 100 cases of delicious. <laughs> And refreshing Dr. Pepper. You're not going to buy West it. Virginia. Somebody's going to gift it well, to you. Well, I'm just saying. Yes. I'm putting a flag in the By ground. By the way, here. this is a, the Bring coach who loves this Bring guy more out. than anybody. Bring him over. Dana Holgerson. Dana Holgerson worships at this guy. I love the glasses. We I don't did even get, know where uh, to find the glasses. We got some props this, this week. There. I'm very excited about True it. True story. Wait, very, is that thank new? You, Dr. Larry, yeah, is Larry we, new? Larry and so we got some Dr. Pepper swag behind us. We're very excited about that. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Okay. Well, you got to come over on Tuesdays. Oh, uh, Tuesdays more. Liner break chugs it all. Yeah, <laughs> Liner takes it all. Okay, we're going to get through yeah, the rest of these a little bit quicker. Auburn. <laughs> I'm going to start with Auburn. <laughs> this one might throw you off a little bit. My level of panic for Auburn is a four. Why is it a four? Because I don't think they were any good anyways. So they just are what they are. Like everyone down there is panicking like they're going to go win the national championship. There's no more unrealistic fan base 
than the fan bases in every state of the little brother program. Auburn, you're a little brother program in the state of Alabama. Don't panic. This is what you are. Sure you lost class. to two better programs. Gus Malzahn is an okay coach, probably not the best coach or the second coming like you've thought for the last three years. So there's no panic at all for me because Auburn is what they were supposed to be. Frank Thomas is coming around the corner right now. He's not, <laughs> good, he's not in a good mood, Joel Clatt. I gave him a, I gave him a six. Uh, and again, a big, broad panic number because of uh, the heat on Malzahn coming into the season. Yeah. And now the conversations just kind of get ramped up a little bit more. So I, I put it as, as a big, not only on the field, but the issues around Malzahn. To me, that boosted up to a six. I boosted it way up. I got it at a nine. Whoa. Because this Call guy. Bruce Feldman. Yeah, well, look. This guy was, <laughs> was coaching for the national title two years ago. With none of his own players. They had a debacle from being preseason number six last year. They were two and six in SEC play. Looked awful. I think they're going to start out one and three. I think they're going to lose this weekend. And all three of those losses would be at home. So it hasn't even started the road schedule yet. Yeah. I think he's going to. I, but isn't this, this whole meter is based on expectation management, the expectation right? I mean, they were, ranked, they were ranked number, what, six last year in, mm -hmm. the, in the preseason. They were coming off a seven-win season. But that all was the media's weird fault, like, stuff. When you least eh. expect it, they pop up. It's almost like they are bizarro They went Oklahoma. to the national championship that year and played against Florida State on some of the most lucky yeah. plays yeah. I had ever seen in my entire life. The miracle on the plains was against Georgia, right? The kick six. I mean, they they, they won a national title with a guy, with a team that basically had like two guys drafted. It was it was yeah, Cam Newton. Was historically yeah, he great. Is, yeah, at and the most Nick important was, position. was the other guy. But that was team without the, without that JC you know superstar. They probably not even a top. 15 team. So again, expectation management. Yeah. Why is Auburn thinking that there's something that they're not? Because it's Auburn and they have, it's the most chaotic of a chaotic, yeah, that's why it's a nine. You four. guys are wrong. You are what you are, Auburn. You're a four. Just be okay with it. Alabama's the program in your state. How mad are you right now? Probably you very. You're stirring that pot, Well, I mean, they are what they are. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, Iowa out of the Big Ten. Here's the very similar reason to Auburn. Iowa loses to probably the best FCS program that we've ever seen, North Dakota State. Yep. What are they on, a five straight national yep. championships right now? Great coach, very solid players. Their starters are as good as anybody um, in, in any FBS conference. Iowa's a two for me. Iowa's a two because everything's in front of them. Again, expectation management. Were you going to win the national championship this year, Iowa? No. Can you still compete for and win the Big Ten West? Yes. Can you still compete for and win the Big Ten? Yes. Could you still go to the Rose Bowl? Yes. Nothing to panic about for Iowa. Uh, I have it as a two as well. Kirk Ferentz with a long-term extension. You know, they're comfortable with him. He's going to end his career there with the Hawkeyes. Uh, and, you know, Iowa, again, you don't expect these wonderful runs from them every year. You, you say, hey, maybe every six years, Hawkeyes, give me, give me one of those runs where you're going to start shaking up the maize and blue and the scarlet and gray and, and mess with Sparty and Wisconsin and company. So I think everything's okay. I'm kind of in the same. I have them at three. The one, the one thing I would point out, too, is they, were, they knew they were playing without their two best offensive linemen. Those guys yep. will be back this week. I think the thing that would be distressing, and I actually talked to Kirk Ferentz today, was basically North Dakota State, does what Iowa prides itself on and was just way more physical, way more efficient, and executed better. And they held them to minus seven yards rushing in the Crazy. second half. That is mind-boggling. So, you know, like everything you said, I, I'm, I'm there. I don't think it's a real panic. But it's a little embarrassing, to be honest. It is embarrassing. Good thing this isn't the embarrassment meter because then it would be very <laughs> But overall, it was a good week for the Big Ten. Not bad. Not bad yeah. at all. Notre Dame. 
Panic meter's high for me. I got Notre Dame as an eight because this is a team that I thought had playoff expectations, and rightly so. They were very talented. I thought their coaching decisions in week one led them to lose the game because Deshaun Kaiser didn't play the entire game. They only put him in full-time in the middle of the third quarter, which I thought was way too late. They should have beaten Texas. Now they get thumped at home. That score was not indicative of the game that I was watching. They got thumped at home by Michigan State, who's a very good program. So for me, Notre Dame and eight, guys. I had them at five because I think their soul was taken in Austin that they were they were done after that type of defeat. And when you're Notre Dame, if you don't go unbeaten, you know, the season is kind of lost for you. And there it is in week two, you're losing a heartbreaker against a team that is now kind of overvalued, yeah. oh, by the way. Uh, and then at home to Michigan State. So I think they've just kind of, I think they've closed the books already. Yeah, I'm a five as well. I think the biggest issue for Notre Dame fans is Brian Van Gorda, the defensive coordinator there. A lot of people, not a Notre Dame fans, want him fired. He's been with Brian Kelly for like 25 years on and off. Uh, I do think the rest of the schedule, you know, Christian McCaffrey notwithstanding, yeah. is pretty manageable. Sure. So Yeah, then, not McCaffrey. They're gonna no, <laughs> aside from him, but there's you know, we'll get into USC. USC later, is, is nothing. We'll I think they can turn it around a little bit and go off and win nine games. Okay, so Oregon. Um, Oregon probably didn't have the highest expectations coming in. I think that they always believe that they can win the, the Pac twelve North. I didn't think this was a team that was going to be able to do that after that historically bad defense a year ago. They retained Don Pelham on the staff and yet replace him as defensive coordinator with Brady Hoke, the former Michigan coach. Oregon is in full-blown panic mode. I really like Mark Helfrich as a guy. I think that he's in a precarious spot at this point. They are a 10. Oregon is in full panic mode. Royce Freeman goes down with an injury, probably why they lost the game to Nebraska. Devin Allen, who just took fifth in the Olympic Games in the 110-meter hurdle, tore his knee up for the second time as an Oregon football player did so in the Rose Bowl in the semifinal against Florida State. Now has done so again after competing in the Olympics. That's devastating for your, for your ball club. He's a great player. Terrell Crosby is, is down, an offensive lineman. They can't stop anybody. They go for two, and it backfires on them now finally because they're not blowing people out by 50. Panic mode in Eugene. Yeah. I feel like I've undervalued their panic. Good sales job, Clatter. I had them at a four, and I think I probably should have had that up a little bit higher. Uh, my beef with my thoughts about Oregon coming in the season were they're still Oregon, right? And I do this a lot with a lot of these programs. You're still who you are, and you're going to be a good team to some to some extent. But what's driving me nuts about Oregon is can you get a quarterback in your system for more than nine months, right? I, I don't know what that problem is, but it. That's an epidemic. Sure, it's it an epidemic in Eugene. Get a quarterback who's with you for four years. Two or straight more. FCS quarterbacks. And, and get, yeah, I and mean, we have to dip into those. Water. You're Oregon. Yeah, you're Oregon. Those kids should be dying to put on those Nike swooshes. So uh, I, I think they're going to be okay, and I think they're going to be. Look, the Pac-12 was not the Pac-12 that we were hoping it was going to be. Well, the North. Year. I think Stanford and Washington are really good. I, I, if they're I can't not careful, see, they can get from Washington to get yeah. a test. That's true. Right? Uh, and, and you could even say, I want to see Stanford get a bigger test because USC is, is not it's a definitely test not anymore. a test right it's now. Kansas State. Yeah. But it's still, it's still Power 5. I'm closer to where Rob is. I'm at a 6. Uh, they're going to get Royce Freeman back. He's, what I've told is he's day-to-day with a leg injury. And they still have a ton of good skill guys. What I want to see is last year's FCS quarterback, who had proven himself against you know, big, 12, big uh, Pac-12 opponents, at least in, in the non-conference. Vernon Adams was a terrific passer. He just couldn't stay healthy. Dakota Prukop, we're still trying to find out if he can be the guy. And they have really good receivers even without Devin That's Allen. That's true. So I don't think, you know, I think they can still win seven or eight games. And to me, 
you know, I don't think you just freak out at this point if you're an Oregon person. Oh, I'm freaking out. Do you think? Do you think? Ten. Mar- it's a ten. Do you think Mark Helfrich will be there in two years? Um, mm. I'm just not. I, Bruce, that's a, I know that's you. An excellent I know question. you like I just, him. I'm I really like him. There. Yeah. I'm not gonna go. I just there's fa- you know there's families there's assistant coaches. I just I hate getting into that that projection mode. I'm gonna move to USC, who I think could have some changes coming down the pike. Let's just say that. USC panic meter. This one might throw you off. Exactly. I didn't say it. Didn't go all all the way. USC's panic meter might shock you a little bit, but you you gotta bear with me. This is gonna bear a little bit of uh, storytelling because USC I've got at a one. Why do I have USC at a one? A lot of the same reasons why I have Auburn at at a four, except here's the deal. USC, you're in Los Angeles. And nobody cares about you if you're irrelevant. And right now, USC football, you are totally irrelevant. That's where you have been relegated to a one because everyone's going to the beach. Nobody cares about your program right now because you aren't any good. That's about as harsh as I can say, guys. Mad clatter, man. They aren't. You got them at a one? A one. Everyone's going to the beach. Coliseum's going to be empty. USC panic meter. Show them the number, please. No, no, mine. For no, mine. I'm, <laughs> I'm angry. I'm surly. I got panic. I got panic written all over my face. Oh, what are you going with? A ten? Nine. A nine. A nine. I got big issues because every time I see the cutaway of Lynn Swan in his VIP booth, all I see is the face of a man going, "I didn't hire that guy." Yeah, that's not that's... my program. We got big issues, and and Clay has already made the change of quarterback this week going with the the redshirt freshman ahead of a big game versus a really good Utah yep. team, particularly on the defense line. Friday night on FS1. Um, and, you know, I, there's a little Rex Ryan effect to me going on at USC right now where somebody's going to take the blame, and it's, it's not going to be this guy. So Clay is saying, instead of ripping T. Martin, he's saying, I'm going to make a quarterback change. But, sure. T, this is, T, this is my message to you, the offensive coordinator. You better start straightening stuff out. Brand-new head coaches should never hire first-time coordinators. That's all I'm going to say. What are we doing there? What are we doing? Go, Bruce. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if I'm being, my sound's being fixed or I'm being accosted here at, at, at we do. We, we've got some. Account. We've got some technical yeah, issues yeah, happening some hands right now. On you, but right now. Nether regions. Right. Okay. So I got a seven here for USC. You know, when I when I look at what's going on here, I mean, Clay Holton is, looks like he's staring at a one and five yeah. start to his regime. Yep. And I keep coming back to them saying, you could have had Tom Herman last year. I mean, he would have been the head coach at USC, and they don't got him. I like Clay Helton a lot. I, I think there's some serious issues of. It's been embarrassing one after the other. When you look, you know, I was watching them. I, I imagine our colleague Petros Papadakis with like a devil and, a shul- and an angel over both shoulders. They're high-fiving because USC is his school and, he, you know, it's part of him. But at the same time, all this drama is probably great for his business of a radio show. Yeah. And it's just more chaos. Matt, Matty Leinart's beat up. You know, he's, he, he's he been is. trying to hold back. And he's like, Friday night on, on the air, I, I got I to gotta say something. They're rushing game, 111th. It's worse, worse, worse than, than Washington the Pac-12. State. Juju worse Schuster, than 11 for 99 yards. Preseason All-American has 99 yards received. And the offense was supposed to be the strength. I mean, we knew that their defense was going to struggle to some oh. degree because the defensive front uh, was, was beat up. Kenny Bigelow tore his knee up in spring football. All these different things. I know that I was harsh on USC, but listen, that's the, that's the fact right now. They're not even the fourth best team in their own division. UCLA is better than them right now. Utah is better than them. Arizona State is better than them. And Colorado has played better than USC to this point. 
Now we'll see if they're, that they're ends up playing the best even, team in their town. Even on that stat, because I had that in my notes. <laughs> Rams about, won. Oh, Rams uh, won. <laughs> Dodgers, the LA Galaxy firing up for the playoffs. Oh, there we go. Washington State <laughs> should never have a rushing game higher than USC. And some USC fans were going, well, look, they played Stanford and they played Alabama. Yeah, those are really great defensive programs. You're still USC. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. You should not be like, yeah. like 110. You should not admit that you're going to get blown out by yeah. Alabama. Uh, That's not USC. You had a great team. Uh, He's there, USC at Utah, FS1, Friday night. So uh, make sure you tune, tune in. Utah has a solid D, kind of an evolving offense. Joe Williams last week ended up retiring from football. Uh, he was their starting running back to start the year. Troy McCormick is a guy that actually provided a little bit of spark for their running game, in particular in that BYU game that we were, uh, that we were all at. Uh, Utah's very good, and they're salty, and you don't just roll into Salt Lake and get a – that's a tough place to Sack play. Sack Lake City, baby. Yes. Sack Lake City. They had so 10 sacks last week. USC is in for yeah. a rude awakening again potentially this week, don't mm. you guys think? I do. Very much so. Although, Sam Darnold, I've seen him a, a bunch coming up in the recruiting process. He is a really good athlete and can run, but I think he may be running for his life right. if uh, Zach Banner doesn't help him out. Well, they've – you know, and USC's dealing with a lot of off-the-field issues. And USC is is a bit of a mess right now, and they're they going to have to they're going to have to get it fixed. Shouldn't be in this situation. Well, the problem is is that everything rises and falls on leadership, you know. And and their former athletic director Pat Hayden made some questionable decisions along the lines that have put them in this situation that they're in right now. So uh, they're going to have a real stiff test. I would not uh, put a lot of money on USC in that ballgame because I think Utah is really good. They stop the run, they get to the quarterback, and it's not an easy environment to play in. Um, Oklahoma State at Baylor, that's going to be the the Fox game. Um, as we get there on Saturday night, myself, Gus, Shannon, Spake uh, have that game. Are you doing game. both games? No, I'm not doing the Friday You're night just game. Just the Baylor game. Just the Baylor yeah. game, right. yes. Um, Baylor is undefeated, haven't played anybody. Reminds us a lot of every other uh, yeah. Baylor season. Um, Northwestern State, SMU, Rice. Is your schedule. They haven't played like what we would expect a Baylor team to play like. Of course, Jim Grobes, their, their interim head coach. But every thing that they talk about, Bruce, is that they've cha- they haven't changed anything for their players. It's the exact same offense. They practice the same way. They do everything the same, and they're trying to get the same results. But the, the bottom line is, is that just the feeling around the program is immensely different. Yeah, there's no – look, all those guys, it's not just Kendall Bryles, the offensive coordinator. You know, it's his dad, Art Bryles. It's the running back coach, Jeff Levy. That's his father-in-law. The O-line coach was an assistant to Art Bryles in high school, you know, for 20 years. So there's a lot of lack of continuity there. Look, I, I like Jim Grobe a lot and have a lot of respect for him. But I think there's something that just seems a little off. Now, they also have to replace almost their whole offensive line. Yep. The thing that has jumped out at me is I did their SMU game, and I watched the game last week against Rice. Seth Russell has really struggled early in yes. games. He has looked really rusty. He hasn't thrown a touchdown in the first quarter. And there is such a discrepancy between the athletes they have at receiver with Katie Cannon, and they have three really good running backs compared to the guys they're playing. This will be the closest thing to, like, apples to apples yep. of athletes. I'm curious to see if they bring it because they have not so far. Yeah, the Seth Russell stuff is amazing. The, the graphic that we're going to air on the game Saturday comparing last year to this year just in the first quarter, you know, his completion percentage way down. Yards per uh, completion down about 13 yards. Pass touchdowns, that's the big one, 11-0. to zero. He had yeah. 11 
first well look who they've played they sh- you should be throwing for touchdowns yeah, but the thing is that's that that stat is against against uh ranked opponents. it's not against like the northwestern states you know last year it's against so fbs that's teams even, yeah that's even more impressive but, but their difference. their point total this year has gone 55 40 38 they're going they're trending in the wrong direction uh, and this is an Oklahoma State team. You know, the Pokes got, got something to prove because, as we said, they, they, they got screwed two weekends ago. They should be unbeaten. They should be the highest-ranked team in the Big 12. Yeah, frankly. they should. They absolutely should. They also uh, can't run the ball, uh, which is going to be a huge storyline for them moving forward. We'll see if Rennie Childs, he's a guy that is now going to be probably their focal point yeah. back. He did run for 100 yards a week ago. Uh, but they're really about throwing the football. Mason Rudolph threw for well over 500 yards a week ago top output of anybody thus far this season as far as a passing game. James Washington, almost 300 yards as a wide receiver. This dude is a freak. I mean, he is really good, so uh, pay attention to those two as uh, we get set to bring you that one on Fox, Oklahoma State at Baylor. Wisconsin at Michigan State, guys, is a huge game in the Big Ten, both ranked. Wisconsin number 11, Michigan State eighth in the country, and Michigan State coming off that huge win against Notre Dame. Really quickly, uh, for, at least for me on this game, because it's about one thing. Wisconsin is a pretender at this point. They're changing quarterbacks. It's likely going to be Alex Hornibrook, who came in for um, Bart Houston late in that Georgia State game. Was it Georgia State? It right? was. And by the way, Georgia State 0-2, a Sun Belt team. They almost they were yes. almost losing that. They lost. Yeah. They it was 6-3 in the, in the first yeah. half. They were losing in the fourth quarter, Joel. So I don't know what Wisconsin is. Meanwhile, I know exactly what Michigan State is because under Mark D'Antonio, you know they're going to be tough. They're going to run the ball, and they're throwing the ball incredibly efficiently. Tyler O'Connor, well over 70%. He's played very well at quarterback. He's the same guy, by the way, beat Ohio State late last year in the shoe. Yeah, I mean, there's always that concern uh, coming off a big win over Notre Dame and all the hype that goes into whenever Notre Dame you're going to face them. But with Mark D'Antonio, it, it doesn't seem to bother me. I think he probably relishes the fact that it's, a, it's an 11th-ranked Badger team coming in rather than a Rutgers or an Indiana. He's going to have them dialed in. I think Sparty is that one team that's floating out there that is just waiting like they've yes. done in the past to really screw up the college football they're playoff not, system. They're not scared of anybody. No, they've why ended, should they be? They've ended a 23-game winning streak they of don't Urban Meyer. They a 24-game winning streak of Urban Meyer. They beat Michigan constantly. I don't know how D'Antonio does it, right? I mean, he, he, he must like, look at my record. Look what we've done. I look know. who we've beat. But he, he doesn't want Europe. people to look talk my, about him. Right, I agree. But you know, you know when he's sipping a Dr. Pepper after his game. <laughs> He's like, come on, man, give us some credit. Why, why do we have to? I don't think he wants the credit. So, I honestly don't think. But he wouldn't wants it be easier if Michigan State was given a little earlier love in the season rather than having to make this long trek up from the from the low teens into the 11, 12? But it plays into now. the way he, he coaches his team. And maybe it you does. Know, maybe like, it does. He but wants to be the. But underdog. at some point, if I you're agree. Sparty, you're like. Get us in the top five as a regular team because we deserve it. I, I think I the totally fans agree. maybe want it. I don't think he does, and he knows what's in front of him. He knows he gets he gets Michigan at home. He knows he gets Ohio State later in the year. It's all there in front of him. They just keep winning, and he'll be in good shape. Okay, Florida, Tennessee. Um, this one's going to be – everyone's going to talk about the 11-game losing streak that Tennessee has had against Florida. Florida is going to be without their starting quarterback, Luke Del Rio. They're going to start Austin Appleby, who's the – other Purdue transfer that's starting. We'll get to the other one uh, here in a little bit. But Florida, Tennessee. Tennessee has been okay to this point. Florida is really good on defense. They gave up 53 total yards to North Texas. 53 total yards. I know it's North Texas, but guys, 53 total yards. I mean, you can like stumble into one play for 53 yards, much less the entire game. That's incredible. 
I just I, I find this one, everyone's going to jump on Tennessee like, oh, yeah, they're going to end the streak. They're gonna... Tennessee's offense doesn't scare me, and no. that Florida defense is incredible. I'm tired of this Tennessee talk. Everybody's been all in love with them since August and praising them and saying this is the year the Vols turn around. They've been average. All you got to do is go back to, to the old ball coach. You can't spell citrus without UT. <laughs> Maybe one of the great lines ever. So good. They're <laughs> also yes. really banged up. So they're without Cam Sutton, fractured ankle. He's by far their best defensive back. They're without Darren Kirkland. He's their most talented linebacker. He's, he has a high ankle sprain. Uh, Jalen Reeves-Maben, their leader on their defense, he is hurt. Now, he's probably going to play, but that's a lot of issues for a team that already has issues throwing the ball. And I just feel like if they're not clearly the better team, they're going to find a way to screw it up. And but they're home. They're home they, with, a, with a chance to get a win over a ranked team to say, hey, guess what, guys? Maybe we are legit. Maybe we are. They're, for real. Their nine-game winning streak, only one ranked opponent yeah. that they beat. That was Northwestern. So this is uh, their chance to get a second. Stanford at UCLA. I got one note on the Stanford-UCLA game. That's it. Only one. Since Jim Mora became the head coach at UCLA, Stanford, 5-0, and their lowest rushing output in those games, 170 yards. Uh, That's Josh, it. That's jo- all I got. Josh Rosen, where are you? Where, where, where are you? Show up. I, I was ready to... We know to, he's not a student at Stanford. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh boy. Well, well, I don't know if they allow hot tubs in the dorms there at Stanford. They do not. Um, and again, you know, for me, the, the Stanford conversation goes to this East Coast bias um, against Stanford, against Christian McCaffrey, against the players who are out here on the West Coast that, again... Nobody is giving this gentleman the proper due of what he is. Um, and it's going to bother me, and it's, it's happening already. We, how much time did we just talk about Action Jackson? Yeah. Meanwhile, it's McCaffrey week in, week out, literally carrying that team offensively. Joel, let me ask you this. So this, to me, is, should be a little different UCLA because they changed their offensive philosophy. Uh, no more Noel Mazzoni. Now it's more physical. They do nine on seven more every day, according to Jim Mora. How, how much do you think that will benefit them in this kind of game? It will absolutely benefit them. The problem is, is that I don't know if they've got the personnel to do anything to stop McCaffrey. Because w- what I saw against A&M and then what I saw against BYU is that they didn't have the speed that I thought that they did, in, in particular at the second and third level. I think to stop Christian McCaffrey, you've got to have great speed because he, he's faster than he was a year ago. He's running right now like 4-3. I mean, timed in the 40, this, this guy is, is incredibly good. I think UCLA will play better than they have in those other five games. Now, in every one of those five, UCLA was ranked, you know, high, had high expectations. One of them was a conference championship game. Last year in their matchup, McCaffrey went off. I mean, off in there. I think he had 300 or 400 all-purpose yards. It was, it was nuts. So I just – Stanford, to me, is as good of a program as there is in the country. They're a lot like Michigan State. No love whatsoever, yep. and they just go out there and keep beating people. K-State, you were that did this game. K-State did a really good job. Their safeties were all over the place. Do you think – I think Elijah Lee is a big-time athlete, but do you think that K-State has more speed on defense than UCLA does? I think K-State is better overall on defense than UCLA. Just better coach, better talent, better scheme? Um all of the above. Okay. Um, you even um, think better talent? I, I think that Will Geary is really good as a defensive Agreed. lineman for Agreed. Kansas State. I think Elijah Lee is really good. And I think um, uh, Dante Barnett 
is one of the more underrated players in the entire country as a safety. What I saw from Dante Barnett in week one against Stanford was as good as it gets in terms of run diagnosis, being able to stay back when it was play action pass, reroute uh, in particular middle of the field routes. Dante Barnett is better than anything UCLA has. They do have Eddie Vanderdose, and I mean they have some guys in the front. I'm smelling that you like UCLA in this one. I, are they, they going to buck the trend here? No, I can't, five pull the trigger. Five? I can't pull the trigger on the David Shaw against anybody at this point, unless somebody has a significant talent advantage, which mm -hmm. I don't think UCLA yeah. does. I really don't. I think Stanford's very good in the secondary, and to me, UCLA is very average at receiver. Stanford's uh, defense, I think, is a big turnaround for them this year. Wouldn't you agree? After last year yeah. when they struggled? You know what? You got me excited about this matchup, actually. You know, I want to see it's a home game for Josh Rosen. This is a great test for him. You know, he was good in the second half against BYU. He was really bad in the first half. I want to see what they get out of him now. We'll see. He, ha he has not been as advertised. Let's just put it that well, way. Here's a chance to prove it. Here is a chance to pr prove it. Last but not least, the all-hype game, the all-someone's going to get a huge bump. Neither team is all that good. Number 17 against Ar uh, Arkansas against number 10. How did that happen? Texas A&M. <laughs> Both of these teams, I think, are very average. Probably bottom of the AP 25 is where they should be. Texas A&M, yeah, they've got Miles Garrett, and he's fantastic. But Trevor Knight never going to throw for over 55%, 58%. They've got great wide receivers. I don't know if they can stop the run. We'll see this week against Arkansas. And Arkansas gave up 570 yards to the air raid offense against TCU, so they're not stopping anybody this weekend. Texas A&M is probably going to score 50. I think Texas A&M wins the game. They might even get into the top 10, not even near a top 10 team. I think that entire lower third graphic right there tells you all you need to know about the SEC this year, right? Again, it's totally inflated. Uh, it is Bama and everybody else. Bama's and just, great. And just absolutely, and just because you're in the SEC and you have a winning record doesn't mean you belong in the upper echelon of the top 25. Uh, I, I give Bielema a ton of credit what he's been able to do and, and being this antagonistic force in the SEC and backing it up and getting wins and, and this poking is the pro and prodding. Fan and you it's a little out. bit. Yeah, it's a little yeah. bit coming Bielema out. is definitely a, a pro wrestler I would love to see Bielema with a mask on coming and like the, 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 one, the one little hinge. What are those things called? Whatever, little... King Kong Bundy wore. Ooh, a King Kong Bundy. I know, yeah. I knew That'd this would be nice. Joel me. is now so repulsed. You've lost me. So repulsed. I have no idea. Unless you start uh, like and it. end with Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan oh. and maybe even a little bit of Andre the Giant because if you haven't read the article in Modern Drunkard magazine about the drinking escapades of Andre the Giant, yeah. it is epic. Just the picture. Just the picture of the can of beer in his hand that's just, just, just dwarfed. Uh, we digress. I believe we've digressed. That's all right. Uh, I like Texas A&M. I, I think they're better than folks gave them credit for. They're not 10th in the country. I don't think they're number 10 good. No. Uh. Bruce, you're a Texas A&M guy. I am a Texas A&M guy. Um, I talked to our friend Noel Mazzoni today. He feels very good about the development they've had. They have a really good dynamic running back, Travion Williams. Yep. I think he's coming. Uh, they like the offensive line. Avery Genesee was a big-time JC guy who's starting to Didn't play Didn't Travion well. only have like eight carries for like 130 last week? Yeah, look, they, there's some issues where he's still got to develop. He, the, the comparison is, remember Jonathan Franklin? Great, yes. You know, really good running back yes. they had who ended up in the NFL. More explosive version maybe of that, just kind of a different style running back. The receivers, as you mentioned, are really good. Maybe Speedy Noel has figured it out or kind of matured. Um, I don't know. I think A&M, if they, if they can you know, kind of stay locked in, I think they are a fringe top 10 kind of team. Really? I think that they lose by 25 to Alabama. 
Yeah, but look, at the, I mean, some of the teams we're talking about, I think they lose to buy 25 to Alabama. You might be right. Like, I think after you get past the top four, top five. It's a big drop-off this year. I mean, I would go, I would get down Wisconsin ranked right now? 11. It's one spot. I would okay, pick so once you get Okay, so once you get to Michigan State, like, you've, to me, you've got to – and I don't even really know Notre about Dame Houston. Notre Dame was around 10. I think Alabama would beat them by 30. If, you, if you're going to give me, like, Bama and Ohio State, I think Louisville is very good. I think Clemson's I, very good. I think Clemson has a, has a lot of potential. I think Michigan's very good. I think Michigan State is very good. That's six. Um, Stanford, maybe? Stanford, I think, is very well, good. That, give Houston, me a number eight. TBD? Yeah, it would be two, right? TBD on Houston, and then there's everybody else. Yeah, then you're starting to get into, like, the TCUs. You're starting to get into Oklahoma State. You're looking at Washington. We don't know what they are. I'm sorry. I might throw I, Washington I, in I think there. you got about eight or nine teams. And then when you get to ten, don't rip these other schools because I think they're all in a cluster of, of decent. So you're basically saying someone's got to be ranked. Someone has to be ranked. That's a good defense of top, Texas A&M, Bruce Feldman. Top 20. Feldman. Right? You, can't have, you can't have Alabama's second team as the number 10 team in the country. In you're fact, I think I would out. actually rank Alabama's second teamers as ninth in the country right Ooh. now. Maybe 10th behind Washington. I think that they would pose a fight. I certainly think that they would win the SEC. Uh, 31-3 that run I mean, last week you against look at Ole Miss. the rest of the SEC East. We're talking about Tennessee and Florida and Georgia's yeah. up there. Georgia almost lost to Mizzou last I year. I know. They had, well, Mizzou had to throw that late pick. We digress. The Missouri team at West Virginia beat. Guys, thank you very much beaten. for being here. We Thanks really appreciate us. it. I want to thank Dr. Pepper one more time because they've been fabulous sponsoring our show. We're going to be back next Tuesday night live on Facebook. Uh, we're also going to be back twice i believe two more times during the course of the year we were live on friday night last week from ou's campus we're going to be doing that uh two other times during the course of the year so stay tuned for that make sure to continue to like us and share us on facebook download our podcast uh, i believe that's on itunes so you can go check that out as well i'm joel clatt you've been watching breaking the huddle thanks for watching